When you fight a battle, there's a lot of ways to win. Um, sometimes you win in ways you never expected. I don't think anyone would ever tell a speed skater, the way you're going to win this is I want you to be in last place. I want you to be in last place coming around the corner, and I want you to be in last place because that's going to be the most strategic position to win this. If you were alive and watching in the 2002 Olympics, that happened. The 1,000-meter speed skating championship, five guys, and they were going all after it. Everyone knew it was kind of between this Chinese guy and an American guy, and they were going at it, and they were running and flying around that thing. They came around the last corner, and one of the Chinese guys, the Chinese guy clipped the shoe of the American, and they went sprawling. The Canadian was next, and he went out. He got taken out in the crowd. And the fourth guy was a Korean guy, and he went out. The only guy that was still standing was a guy from down under, and he was so far back, he was closer to Australia than he was the gold. <laughs> but the reality is, everybody else wiped out, and the guy crossed. And I kind of felt sorry for him. I was happy. He goes, like, I won the gold, I won the gold. And everyone's like, yes, because you're slow. <laughs> so it's like, mom, I won. Yes, honey, you are. I'm so happy of how slow you are. Now, of course, I shouldn't make fun of the guy. I mean, the guy could speed skate to Boston faster than I can, you know, get to the edge of Salem. So I understand he's phenomenal. But no one would tell the guy, the way you're going to win this is to be last. When Joshua was doing his battles, he realized some principles. He, he, number one, he knew, I can tell you how to lose a race. I can tell you how to lose a, a battle. I got that down. I, let me tell you about AI. I can tell you how to negotiate bad deals. I got duped by the Gibeonites. But he also can tell you I learned some things about winning battles, but they were different. If he were to describe Jericho, he would describe it. Well, that one was kind of interesting. It took the whole nation. We marched around it. We blew the trumpets on the final day and the walls came tumbling down. Have no clue how to do it, but we won. And he could tell you how they got across the Jordan. Yep, that was a victory, and it was. And he could tell you how they routed the Gibeonites, and that was incredible. And he could tell you how they rebounded and, and took Ai. There's a lot of ways. And as he's coming to the very end, chapter 11, the last verse, line, it says this. Then the land had rest from war. Now that line comes after... Joshua is summarizing the 33 battles that he entered into to accomplish God's vision. And he's kind of summarizing in chapter 11 some of the things is, if you will, takeaways for the people of Israel, for you and me. He's learned some things about how to win some battles. And it begins, he tells us, with what I call a foundation of victory. Not everyone, and I'm talking of Christians this morning, not everyone wakes up out of bed this, today and said, you know what, God, we're going to win today. And not everyone, as Paul describes it, runs to win. Some people put all kinds of 
baggage on themselves. You kind of wonder, it's like, man, do you, do you want to win? Do you ever expect to win? Because the way you're running, you're not. Joshua had two principles that I think are key for all of us. And, and these principles reside or you'll see them, whether or not we're talking about Jericho, we're talking about the Gibeonites, we're talking about Ai, or we're talking about these 33 battles. The first one is what I call the law of obedience to God. If you were to look at verse 9, verse 12, verse 15, and verse 20, they all have a line in it that is very similar. Some kind of, it's a a little different, but the, the, the fundamental core of this line is, and here's the statement, Joshua obeyed the Lord just as Moses had commanded So what that means is at some point in Moses' life, before he died, he took his friend Joshua aside and said, Joshua, in my 40 years of leading these people, I've come to some conclusions. There's going to be days you're going to be leading people and they're going to be right in step with you. There's going to be other days that same people, they're going to turn around and they're going to want to try and take your head off. There's going to be days where they're, man, they're ready, ready to go to the promised land. There's other days they're going to be beckoning for the days back in Egypt. Leading people is not an easy art. It's a difficult challenge. But there's some things I've learned, and that is this. Bottom line, God takes obedience very seriously. We know that that was stated Because four times it says in this text, Joshua obeyed the Lord just as Moses had commanded him. Moses can tell Joshua, there was times I didn't take obedience seriously and I paid for it. The reason why you're going to lead them into the promised land and not me is because I didn't take obedience seriously. Now, I love the culture. I started out 30-some years ago, heading towards 40 years. It's hard to imagine in the pastorate. And 40 years ago, the language of grace was not popular. The books on grace was not popular. And it's been a rising thing in the church. And it's, we see each other with better lenses and grace-filled eyes. And I think that's a marvelous thing. But there's something that's kind of, if you will, fallen on hard ground. And that's obedience. And in fact, if you talk about obedience, it almost seems like people look at you like, ah, oh, you're one of those, you know, fire breathing, Bible pounding. No, 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 I don't need to buy, pound the Bible. But when did grace become the enemy of obedience? When did that happen? And when did God say, you know what? I really don't care how you live. As long as at the end of the day, you can spell J-E-S-U-S. Is that all that God really wants for us? See, there's a foundation, I believe, to every one of the victories that Joshua and the nation of Israel experienced. And that is a foundation of obedience to God. I've never met a person who told me, Pastor, I'd like to get married. I'd like to destroy my marriage. I'd like to have three or four kids. And my hope is, is that none of them walk with God and that they curse God and that they hate the church. And by the way, that means you too. I've never met anyone that has set out that that's their goal. I have actually seen dozens of people live that way. 
What do I mean by that? I mean that nobody in their mind sets out to wipe themselves out. Nobody sets out to destroy their children. But there's all kinds of people that when they begin their relationship, they start to disregard God's laws. They start setting aside statements of God like keep sexual activity within marriage. Don't go outside of it. Don't give in to your flesh when you're dating. And reduce the ability to create a relationship where there's discipline, where there's respect, where there's integrity. Don't do that, God says. Let your relationship honor God. Build it upon the plan that he designed. Why? So that God can bring blessing to your life. I'm not trying to dismiss grace. I'm not trying to dismiss God's favor and and his honor to us. I, I stand here for nothing but the grace of God. But if I want to have children who love Christ, then I cannot set aside God's law, his word, and say it really doesn't matter. And whatever you put into your mind, that doesn't matter either. You can put pure pornographic material in there and you'll still cherish and love your wife. No. See, there's a foundation that Joshua began to understand. And it's a foundation that we need to understand. And that is, it's the law of obedience to God. It's not a dismissal of grace. It's not a commitment to perfectionism. And it's not a statement that if you fail, we're done with you. None of that. But at some point, you have to ask, do you really want a a family and children that love Christ? Then can I ask you a question? At what point will you ever take obedience seriously? When? When do you flip the switch? It's not only the law of obedience, but it's the law of reliance upon God. I think Joshua in some ways had every reason to worry. He did. If he would have worried and fretted, I wouldn't have blamed him. I mean, if you read verse four, I mean, this is, this is huge stuff that he's up against. Jabin, the king of Azer, has put together kind of an alliance, kind of like the UN. It's just this huge alliance of nations. And it describes in verse four, it says, they came out with all of their troops and a large number of horses and chariots. Now, why is that important? I would liken it to today. If you're going to go into battle and you don't have any tanks and you have no capacity to create a a, a penetration through air assault, you're going to be in trouble. In this day, when you had horses and chariots, it was like every horse and chariot was like worth 10 soldiers. The damage that they could bring, the land that they could cover, the land that they could defend was exponentially larger than what a foot soldiers could cover. But it didn't stop there. The text says they had horses and chariots. It was a huge army. As numerous as the sand is on the seashore. I would say there's not a good reason in the world why Joshua didn't wake up in the morning and said, God, you want us to take on this? I mean, there's so many soldiers, we can't even count them. 
That's not what happened. God followed up this text and he says in verse 6, the Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid of them because by this time tomorrow, you're going to be sitting in a hammock drinking sweet tea because I'm going to hand them over to Israel slain. What's the law of reliance upon God? It's the conviction that just because I had faith and trust yesterday doesn't mean I'm going to have it today. I have to have new trust today. Just because I had faith to march around Jericho doesn't mean I have faith today. And the reason why you need new faith every day, new trust every day, is because like in Joshua's case, the ante just kept getting higher. He kept facing greater challenges. Maybe that's the reason why when God was leading the nation of Israel out of Egypt, he gave them daily manna. He didn't let them go to Costco and get enough food for a month. He said, I want you to go out every day and retrieve. Why? Because I want to develop a pattern in you. And it's the pattern of daily trust. It's the pattern of daily obedience. It's the pattern of relying upon me for every moment of every day. And maybe that's the reason why Jesus, when the disciples came to him and said, hey, Jesus, would you teach us to pray? And he said, I'd love to. I want you to orient yourself to our father who art in heaven. Holy is his name. Pray that his kingdom come and his will be done just on earth like it is in heaven. And when you pray, I want you to pray, God, give us today our daily bread. Don't miss that. He didn't say, God, I want to know how you're going to turn this thing out for the next 10 years. God, I want to know how you're going to take care of my family into my retirement. God, I want to know what's going to happen with the stock market. I want to know whether or not my Bitcoin's going to make me a gazillionaire. I want to have all of that unveiled so then I can relax today. The law of reliance upon God is the conviction of this. I need to develop a daily reliance upon the Father. And yesterday's victory does not guarantee tomorrow's trust. It doesn't. I have to make sure that I don't begin to trust yesterday's victories in ways that it doesn't make me reliant upon God today. The second principle that he teaches us in this text is to trust in the Lord for complete victory. In other words, God doesn't want you to finish 80%. He doesn't want you to go part way and pull up stakes and say, I'm done. But there's a conviction even on the front side of this that you have to have. And it's a conviction that causes you to ask a question. Here's the question. God, do I believe that apart from you, I can do nothing? Do I believe that? Because what God wanted to teach Joshua and he wants to teach us is it doesn't matter the size of your resources. If you don't have God on your side, nothing that you have will sustain a complete victory. These folks had everything. Verse four tells us they had all kinds of resources, all kinds of soldiers, all kinds of horses and chariots. But here's the conviction. Resources are futile without the Lord. It's not suggesting that if you have a lot of resources, it's bad unless you trust them. 
It's not suggesting that having a lot of wealth is bad unless that's what you're trusting. See, as a church, if you give and give and give and you are so faithfully giving, but if we have every financial need in our church met, which we do, but we don't know what it means to live under the inspiration and power and leading of the Holy Spirit, we're sunk. We're sunk. We can have every bill paid for and have no power. We can have... Every salary paid and necessary increases and all of that. But if we're doing this all on our own flesh, we won't accomplish a thing. And so there's a question I have to ask myself. And I need to ask it every day. God, do I believe that apart from you, I can do nothing? One of the greatest challenges is for you who are really gifted. It's because you're so gifted, you can ride on your own coattails. You can ride on your own skills. And some of you look out on the world and here's your rationale. You kind of goes like this. Well, pastor, I mean, I know a lot of people, man. I, I work for a guy who hates God, doesn't even speak well of God, and his business is flourishing. So what do you mean you can do nothing? I mean, you can do nothing of significant spiritual and godly impact apart from Christ. And that's why we're here. We can't ultimately pursue a complete victory if we have in any sense in our flesh the belief that I think we can do this without God's help. And when we face things like verse four, great challenges, one of the beauties to remember is that God has already given the answer to my worry. I wish I never worried. I wish I never had a day of worry in my life. And in fact, that's one of the things I can't wait to get to heaven. When you get to heaven, you'll never worry. You'll never have an anxious moment. I think it's going to be awesome. I'm never going to lie awake. I'm never going to wake up in the middle of the night and have my gut turning. Because my mind can tell me, God is able. Mark, I have these battles with my flesh. I don't know if you do. And where my mind is saying, God is faithful. He, look what he's done. And my gut says, you better get up and do something. You better solve this. You better have a solution. And worry takes set and it works down there. And periodically it causes me to go and open the Tums bottle and down it. Joshua is told by God, you're going to go up with the greatest challenge you've ever faced. And these people are, well, they're innumerable. Like the sands on the seashore. And Joshua had to go to bed that night. Doesn't tell us that he stayed up all night. He went to bed. And the Lord told him, do not be afraid. Because by this time tomorrow, I'm going to slay every one of them. And Joshua had to have what Peter says is the ability to cast all my anxiety upon God is to take it. Sometimes this is what I have to do. 
I'll wake up in the middle of the night and it's like, oh man, it's running in my head and my head is fighting with my heart and they're at war. And sometimes I just have to write it down and I literally write down whatever it is that's causing me anxiety. It can be all kinds of things. And I just have to literally place it on the scriptures and say, God, this one's yours. I want to keep taking it back, but it's yours. And I've lived enough life that I can tell you there's a lot of times that I've faced some really, really huge challenges. And what I'm always amazed at is that if I can let God take care of those things and not try and get in there and mess them up, it's not that I'm inactive, but I've discovered that God has solved things in ways that I never thought. And he solved Joshua's battle in ways that Joshua never thought. Joshua was getting ready to armor up all of his men and take into this battle. And God says, don't miss it. It says, because by this time tomorrow, I will hand all of them over to Israel slain. I'll take care of it. Trust in the Lord for complete victory means that I'm going to allow God to answer multiple battles that we face as a church in his solution that allows me to go to bed at night allows me to sleep it allows me to kind of take my hands sometimes off of something and say you know what God I want to control it I want to predict it I want to solve it if you look back at all the victories that Joshua had Most of the time, they were God's hand. Finally, if we want to see complete victory, we have to continue through the season. It means that number one, we need to expect an extended battle. I wish it were so, but it's true. Verse 18, it says that Joshua waged war against all of these kings for a long time. We don't know how long that is. If you look at his battle against the southern nations, that one wrapped up pretty quickly, maybe one to three days, a week at the most. But if you look at his battles with the northern kingdoms, the estimation is more in the range of five to seven years. Now, I don't know why God doesn't do like he did when they went against the Gibeonites or when he went against other nations. Remember that one where... uh, Joshua led his tribe in an all-night march. And when they got there, God sent this hail. Now, this is a kind of a supernatural hail because it has a built-in GPS. Go back and look at it. The hail had the ability to self-select Israelis, Jews, and the enemies. And that hail came down and God directed it because they're all in the same place. And God took the hail and wiped out the enemy and spared the Israelites. Now, I don't know about you, but man, if you go out in a big old hailstorm, imagine God saying, oh, yep, you're my chosen. You're safe. You don't even need an umbrella today. But these guys over here, I'm going to kill them. Every one of them. That's supernatural. Now, I don't know why God doesn't do that. I don't. I I wish. I'm living in a world. I'm getting spoiled. It's horrible. It is. I'm getting more and more impatient. Why? Because of Amazon. (laughs) I hate them. 
I use them. Sorry. Yesterday, we, have a, we had a card table. We use it for, you know, uh, we were hosting a, a family event and, and, and we host uh, a lot of people and we put drinks on this card table. Now, this card table should have died 10 years ago. But, you know, we're frugal, and so we wrap duct tape around the dumb thing and put baling twine on it, and, you know, it, it kind of like ooh, sways. It makes your coffee seasick on that stuff. Finally, Carrie decided, praise God, honey, this needs to go. <laughs> Hallelujah. I'm going to start a fire just for this one. I got online, found a table. I clicked purchase. That was yesterday. It's already been delivered. It's horrible what they're doing to me. It is. When somebody tells me, oh, hey, we can get that done. We'll be there in a month. Are you kidding me? Have you ever met Amazon? I'm, I'm terrible. I want God to be just like Amazon. I do. 24-hour turn. God, if I lived in that world, do you realize how glorious it would be? That if God said, I will never allow any of your prayers to go longer than 24 hours before I answer them. You know what I would turn into? The biggest spiritual brat in the world. I would. I need duration. I need battles. Why? Because it's when God extends the battle, then I get tested, I get proven, I get sifted, I get matured. I love it when God answers prayers quickly. I like it even better when I pray a prayer and find out God had answered it before I even prayed the prayer. Those are beautiful. I just can't take very much of that. Because that doesn't develop faith. It doesn't develop endurance. And sometimes you're going to face a challenge. And it's going to require in your life some grit and some endurance and perseverance and some toughness. Sometimes you're going to get a medical condition and the doctor is going to tell you you're in the fight for your life. And if you're a spiritual Amazon, you're in real trouble. I'm not dismissing wonderful prayers where God answers quickly. But Joshua waged a war against all of these kings and it lasted a long, long time. And he didn't quit. He didn't hang it up. He didn't say, hey, I've been after this for a long time. I fought 40 years with Moses. I should be done by now. He stayed after it. Not only did he expect an extended battle, but an extensive battle. The Lord, verse 15 says, and the Lord commanded his servant Moses. So Moses commanded Joshua and Joshua did it. He left nothing undone of all that the Lord commanded Moses. When they left Egypt, there was a rumor. And the rumor was this. When you go into the promised land, you're going to run into these people. They're the Anakites. 
they're Anakim, they're, they're descendants of Anakim. And it, it spread like wildfire throughout the nation of Israel. It just sent chills up their spine because these folks were giants and they ate children for breakfast. Your kids. And, and the, the rumor was out. The spies went in. It's like, this land is glorious. But there's these giants in the land and they are so frightening. And it's interesting that Joshua, as he's leading through these 33 nations, guess which one is last? Verse 23 tells us the Anakites, they were the last ones. For over 40 years, It has been the dread of the nation of Israel. If we're going to finish what God wants to do, we have to take on the greatest threat of our lives. Some of you can say, oh yes, God, you've been faithful, but, and you have a but in your heart. And that but may be a wound that God didn't come through for you. It may be something that somebody did for you. It may be a habit that you have yet to be victorious over. It may be a challenge. And God wants to zero in on you this morning and say, I have some unfinished business that I want to finish with you. It's not that God wants to finish you. He wants to heal you. Some of you have been battling drug addiction for 20 years and you got 90% of it licked, but you got 10% that you nurse because you're afraid to be completely clean. When God completes his victory in us, he does it extensively. When the statement at the end said, then the land had rest from war, Joshua took out the one nation that had terrorized them in their mind for over 40 years. When God wants to do a victory in you, he wants to do it extensively. His grace wants to come into every area of your life. And if there's one area where you say, God, yes, I trust you, But you find there's one area, it's a story, it's an experience that keeps circling up and it seems to be the wound in your soul. God wants to heal that. That's what a complete victory looks like. And you have to trust that God is not there to ruin you, but he wants to heal you. In Pilgrim's Progress, Bunyan describes Christian as he was approaching the palace where he wanted to stay. And he came down the road and he saw two lions. And they terrorized him. Because he felt if I walk down that path, they'll get me. And Bunyan writes in the, the text, he says, the lions were chained. But Christians saw not the chains. The lions were chained, but he saw not the chains. If you're going to go to battle, 
You have to have a conviction. And the conviction is this, that the Lord has put a boundary on what he will allow Satan to do in your life. And he has never surrendered you to the battle and said, you go fight him on your own terms and you take him on. That one's for you. He's chained the lions. But it will take for you and I a humble and a dependent obedience. God's grace covers our mistakes. It covers when we sin. But God's grace is never going to be an enemy to obedience. It won't. And so you have to decide, am I going to run to win today? Or am I going to run presumptively giving myself permission to sin and presuming upon God's grace? Joshua teaches us a dependent obedience leads to a victorious outcome. And my friend, when God does that, he wants a complete victory for you. So some of you need, even in this moment now as we bow to pray, to invite the Holy Spirit to finish a good work that he has started on you.